What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. We all need a break from the constant cycle to learn something new, to gain new perspectives. The Great Courses Plus streaming service is an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects or pick up a new hobby. I've been enjoying The Great Courses Plus while researching this season of Flashback. Lectures like Play Ball, The Rise of Baseball as America's Pastime, History of the Supreme Court, and Battlefield Europe have helped me connect the dots on several stories from history. Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited-time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. Sign up now through our special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash O-Z-Y. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. March, 1965. The United States was in the middle of a massive civil rights movement, but the U.S. Supreme Court was hearing a challenge to a law that was almost a century old. The case was called Griswold versus Connecticut. It concerned a ban on the use of all contraception in the state of Connecticut, even by married couples. And the lawyers attempting to defend a law that made it a crime to use birth control? Well, they had their work cut out for them. During oral arguments, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart grilled one of those lawyers about the purpose of that contraception ban. Well now, what purpose, what is the police power purpose of Connecticut in telling married people, two people who are married to each other, that they could not use contraceptives? The attorney responded that the purpose was to preserve morality. Uh, what kind of morality? What, 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 what moral purpose is Well, Your Honor, please, it is not uh, unheard of that the use of contraceptives themselves would be immoral. Certainly, this is a view... It goes on from there, and the attorney kept digging himself a bigger hole. It was a tough task. He was trying to defend a somewhat archaic law with appeals to contemporary morality. 
You see, by 1965, only two states, including Connecticut, still outlawed contraception. Meanwhile, almost three-quarters of the American public approved of making birth control available. The Connecticut ban was, as Justice Stewart himself put it, an uncommonly silly law. So what's the problem? The U.S. Supreme Court had no obvious way to do anything about it. There's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that directly addresses contraception, reproductive health, or family planning. So there's a less than solid legal rationale to overturn the Connecticut law, however silly it might have seemed. So what did the court do? They made one up. And that instance of judicial creativity has affected the course of American law and politics for more than half a century. Welcome to Flashback, a podcast from Ozzy. I'm Sean Braswell. This season of Flashback is all about unintended consequences. And in this episode, we explore the often uneasy relationship between law and politics, between morality and a changing society. We'll see how the efforts to overturn a silly law led to an unexpected revolution, one that has had its own unintended consequences today. The years following the Civil War were a busy time in America, especially for social reformers. This is John Johnson, an emeritus professor of history from the University of Northern Iowa and the author of Griswold v. Connecticut, Birth Control and the Constitutional Right of Privacy. This was a, a very fertile period for reform from about 1870 to, to 19, 1910 or so. And the reform cut in many directions. Anti-slavery reformers were looking for new causes after the war to pour their energy into. There was women's suffrage and voting rights, prohibition. And within this context, you have uh, what you might call the conservative Comstock laws. They were named after a prominent reformer named Anthony Comstock, a veteran of the Union Army. And Anthony Comstock was uh, an interesting guy. He did not have an elective position. He was sort of a, uh, an activist. Comstock was a deeply religious man who had moved to New York City after the war. He was outraged at the vice he encountered there. Saloons, flophouses, brothels. He also didn't like the sending of what he considered immoral and salacious material through the mail. This included pornography, obscene drawings, and more. And in this so-called uh, immoral literature, he included uh, advocacy for birth control. Believe it or not, in the 1870s, contraception was a controversial matter in America. It was uh, religiously frowned upon, particularly in states like Connecticut with a strong Catholic population. So Comstock quits his job selling dry goods and convinces the New York YMCA to support his full-time, one-man crusade to bolster obscenity laws across the nation. He called his new outfit the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. And it worked. Comstock convinced Congress to pass the Comstock Act in 1873. A number of states passed their own Comstock laws, restricting the use and distribution of birth control. Anthony Comstock even convinced Congress to appoint him as a special inspector of the post office so that he could ferret out obscene materials. He conducted his own raids. The first year, he traveled over 23,000 miles across the country and seized over 60,000 condoms and diaphragms. 
He was the Elliot Ness of birth control. But not many Americans were as enthusiastic about following the new law as Comstock was. The laws themselves, which were the product of the culture, probably didn't have a whole lot of deterrent effect. Over the next half century, most states repealed their Comstock laws. More than 70% of Americans supported birth control, and only two states, Connecticut and Massachusetts, still had the laws on the books. In Connecticut, many attempts at repealing the state's Comstock law were made. And uh, I think there were over 20 attempts. But the resistance, particularly of the Roman Catholic Church in Connecticut, was uh, determinative in, in keeping the laws on the books. And they succeeded, at least until the church and almost a century of legal and political inertia met one very determined woman. She was a very talented uh, lady. Uh, she was a singer, and for her early adulthood, she spent time in France. In 1950, a clerical worker and medical technologist named Estelle Griswold moved to New Haven, Connecticut with her husband. She was a small woman, vivacious. She was described as feisty. They had returned home to Connecticut because Griswold's mother was ill. And by pure chance, turned out that she and her husband lived literally right next door to the Planned Parenthood League of Connecticut. And the position of executive director happened to be open. So the 50-year-old Griswold applied. But she didn't know anything, uh, uh, by her own testimony, she didn't know much about birth control. Uh, I don't think she had even seen a diaphragm when she uh, interviewed for the job. Griswold got the job, and she immediately discovered how challenging it would be. Connecticut's Comstock law was the most restrictive in the country. It made using contraception a crime and prohibited groups like Planned Parenthood from distributing it or recommending it. This is Mary Ziegler, a law professor at Florida State University and the author of the brand new book, Abortion and the Law of America. But Connecticut was a, pretty much alone at the time in preventing married couples from even using birth control. This was still the 1950s, before the birth control pill. The diaphragm was the most commonly prescribed form of contraception at the time. Some called it, quote, the rich woman's secret. The Connecticut legislature would not repeal the law, and to get the courts to address it required a lawsuit. The only problem was, the Connecticut law wasn't really being enforced. So to get Griswold to the court required more than just a law that Estelle Griswold thought was unconstitutional. It also required some kind of ingeniousness when it came to, you know, getting arrested, getting in trouble, showing that this law actually had some kind of teeth. So in 1961, Griswold and a colleague, Dr. Lee Buxton, decided they would try to test the law. Griswold announced publicly that her clinic would start providing contraceptive services to married women. This is Estelle Griswold in a 1962 interview with CBS News describing the situation. Well, I think it's very evident that the law is unenforceable, I think if you had a policeman under every bed in the state of Connecticut, they still could not prove anything. John Johnson again. And so they began to advertise that birth control was being practiced and advice was given in the uh, facility in New Haven, Connecticut. They literally called upon the police to arrest Estelle Griswold. A neighbor of Griswold's named James Morris filed the complaint. Morris was a Catholic and the night manager at a rental car agency. 
He told local prosecutors, quote, Every moment that clinic stays open, another child is not born. CBS News interviewed Morris in 1962 as well. Well, I'm 100% against birth control because it's immoral. It's the same as prostitution or abortion or in any other in those immoral things. Of course, getting arrested is just what Estelle Griswold and Lee Buxton wanted. Arrest warrants were issued, and Griswold, dressed in her Sunday best, surrendered to authorities at the agreed-upon time. So two detectives showed up, and apparently Estelle was very happy to see them, and they had a, a very cordial conversation. Griswold and Buxton were arrested, and a court found them guilty and imposed a $100 fine. The case was appealed and eventually went to the Connecticut Supreme Court, and then the United States Supreme Court. Griswold finally had her chance to end the stubborn Connecticut law once and for all. But her case would wind up doing so much more than just that. That's next. Do you have an interesting tale about unintended consequences from history or your own life? Please share it with us by emailing flashback at ozzy.com. That's flashback at ozy.com. Not one of the nine men sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court thought that Connecticut's ban was a sensible law. John Johnson. This was considered sort of uh, archaic and demeaning. And it was you know, crudely drawn, and it was uh, you know, 90 years old. So it was a question of what grounds would the Supreme Court find to rule the law unconstitutional. Chief Justice Earl Warren assigned the opinion in the case to Justice William O. Douglas. The 66-year-old Douglas was from Washington State and had been on the court for over a quarter century. He was a world traveler and an outdoorsman. He was not your average Supreme Court justice. Time now for everybody's favorite guessing game, What's My Line? This was a popular 50s game show. The contestants were blindfolded and asked to guess the identity of a mystery celebrity guest. One of those guests was Justice Douglas. This is a gentleman? Yes. Do you work? Yes. Do you work for a profit-making organization? No. Justice Douglas was also something of a ladies' man, sometimes known as Wild Bill. He was the first Supreme Court justice to have been divorced, and not just once, three times. The year after the Griswold decision, he would marry his fourth wife. She was 23 years old. Needless to say, many of the clerks on the court felt it to be deeply ironic that the justice with numerous extramarital affairs was to be the one in Griswold given the task of upholding the right to privacy in the sanctity of the marital bedroom. Douglas wrote the first draft of the court's opinion in less than a week. It was six pages, handwritten, double-spaced on a yellow legal pad. When his draft was circulated to the other chambers of the court, the clerks and other justices were shocked at how thin it was. The legal argument left a little to be desired as well. What Justice Douglas would ultimately write is that the Connecticut law violated the right of privacy of Estelle Griswold. The court had never explicitly found a right to privacy 
in the Constitution. What Douglas did was, in some ways, very creative. In other ways, uh, his critics said he was very sloppy. Douglas argued in his opinion that the Connecticut law, quote, violates the right of marital privacy, which is within the penumbra of specific guarantees of the Bill of Rights. And these penumbra are these uh, emanations sort of cast a privacy shadow. So it is a really important case for a couple of reasons. April Dawson is a constitutional law professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law. One, uh, the court specifically found a right to privacy in the marital relations and concluded that the state could not restrict a married couple's ability to be counseled on and use contraceptives. But more broadly, it's important because the court for the first time really explicitly found a right to privacy in the Constitution, even though the right to privacy is not explicitly stated within the text of the Constitution. The court delivered its opinion to the public on June 7, 1965, the day before Estelle Griswold's 65th birthday. Near the end of the majority opinion, the thrice-divorced Douglas opined about the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is a coming together, for better or worse, hopefully enduring, and intimate to the degree of being sacred. It is an association that promotes a way of life, not causes, a harmony in living, not political faiths. It is an association for as noble a purpose as any involved in our prior decisions. It was a beautiful sentiment, and in the years after Griswold, you would often hear that passage read aloud at wedding ceremonies across the country. And so, for the first time in nearly a century, Connecticut spouses engaged in legal, protected sex, and the right to privacy was born in America. Meanwhile, Estelle Griswold did what so many older Northerners did at the time. She retired to an air-conditioned home in Fort Myers, Florida, where she lived until her death in 1981. But the controversy surrounding the Griswold case began before the ink on the opinion was even dry. The critics would say, well, it may be very important, but it's not grounded in the U.S. Constitution. And it was an easy decision to, to criticize uh, if you didn't like the, the analysis of Justice Douglas. For many, the ends of eliminating an uncommonly silly law did not justify the Warren Court's judicial means for doing so. If you agreed with the Warren Court's leanings, you uh, were willing to accept the decision. If you were critical of the Warren Court for going too far, uh, you saw this as a, a sloppy uh, decision that created a right that uh, wasn't clearly there. This is Daniel Ehrman, a constitutional law scholar at the Northeastern School of Law. Griswold is the beginning, but certainly not the end, of a huge debate over whether unspoken or what lawyers call unenumerated rights get protection in the Constitution. No one knew right after Griswold quite what the consequences of this broad legal right would be. Mary Ziegler again. One of the questions coming out of Griswold was how broad this right to privacy reached. Pretty far as it turned out, eight years after Griswold, the Supreme Court announced another big decision. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. Well, Roe v. Wade 
afraid is just a bomb that went off in terms of constitutional law. This is Mark Kendi, a law professor at Drake Law School and the director of the Drake Constitutional Law Center. In the famous case of Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court found the right to privacy identified in Griswold applied in other family planning circumstances. And when it got to abortion, they found that although there was certainly an interest the state had in the fetus at the end of the day, that right to privacy that an individual woman has with regard to what happens to her body is something that exists. It's a fundamental constitutional right. The decision in Roe was immediately polarizing. CBS News captured the opposing viewpoints on the day the ruling was handed down. This is Dr. Alan Guttmacher of Planned Parenthood on that broadcast. I think that uh, to raise the dignity of a woman and give her freedom of choice in this area is an extraordinary event. And I think that January 22, 1973 would be an historic day. And on the other side, James McHugh, a priest with the U.S. Catholic Conference. In this instance, the Supreme Court has withdrawn protection for the human rights of unborn children, and it is teaching people that abortion is a rather innocuous procedure provided that there are proper legal safeguards. These strongly held opposing views on abortion have now defined American political culture for nearly half a century, and the right to privacy found in Griswold has been extended to areas beyond just abortion. Mark Kendi. What happened after Roe was uh, basically the court actually continued to find this right to privacy to be even broader. Some of these extensions to privacy are favored by liberals, such as the court's recent protection of gay marriage, and some push in a more conservative direction. Certainly, you know, parents claim rights to be able to do things like homeschooling of their children. They claim rights to be able to sometimes pull their children from public schools when it comes to the point where public schools engage in sex education. So it encompasses uh, parental rights, it encompasses medical care, and it even you know, touches on religious issues. The century-long reaction to the Comstock laws of the 19th century illustrates how legislative overreach can backfire to create rights that would have shocked the original proponents of a law. Just think, how would the chaste crusader Anthony Comstock have felt if he knew his labors would have ultimately resulted in legalized abortion? But can the same be said of the Griswold case? Up next, a look at some of the crazy unexpected consequences unleashed by Griswold's privacy revolution. Enjoying this episode? Check out the Great Courses Plus streaming service. It's an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects, like the establishment by the Supreme Court of the Right to Privacy. In researching this episode of Flashback, I dove deep into the lectures History of the Supreme Court and Law School for Everyone, Constitutional Law. With the Great Courses Plus app, we can keep our minds active, escape into this vast world of information, watch or listen at any time, anywhere. Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited-time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. Sign up now through our special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash ozzy. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash ozy. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash ozzy. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. 
And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. These days, Griswold v. Connecticut is not all that controversial. Mary Ziegler. But Griswold itself has become what lawyers call part of the legal canon um, in the sense that you can't really say Griswold was wrong anymore. But there's one place that Griswold and the still controversial Roe v. Wade decision continue to get raised. Daniel Ehrman again. The debates that occurred in Griswold and Roe v. Wade set the stage for an entire generation of Supreme Court confirmation hearings. And few hearings went by without a senator questioning the Supreme Court nominee about his or her views on the right to privacy established in Griswold. It really was the centerpiece of Robert Bork's confirmation hearing during the summer of 1987. Robert Bork was an outspoken conservative jurist. During the hearing, you can hear the subtle disdain he had for Justice Douglas's opinion in Griswold. And Justice Douglas entered, uh, ended that opinion with a rather... Uh, eloquent statement of how awful it would be to have the police pounding into the marital bedroom. And, and it would be awful, and it would never happen, because there is a Fourth Amendment. And the police simply could not get into the bedroom without a warrant. And what magistrate's going to give the police a warrant to go into search for signs of use of contraceptives? I mean, it's a wholly, it's a wholly bizarre and uh, imaginary case. Now, let me say, 
this. That... Yield at that point, just to, for clarification. Yes, Do you recognize that second voice? Hint? It's a balding senator from the state of Delaware who is currently the Democratic nominee for president. And there's a famous exchange between the young chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Joe Biden, and Robert Bork about the implications of Bork's view that there is not a fundamental right to marital privacy or the right to contraception that was at issue in Griswold. If they had evidence that a crime was being committed. How are they going to get evidence that a, a couple are using a wiretap. wiretap? Wiretap. Wiretap. They, they have that, a legal wiretap. You mean to say that a They're magistrate is going to authorize a wiretap to find out if a couple is using contraceptives? They could. Couldn't no, they have a law? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Things changed a bit after the Senate refused to confirm Bork. After Bork was voted down, You've just had a series of nominees by both parties who have said Roe v. Wade is precedent. And they have given platitudes that would make most first-year law students blush. And that continues to this day. I um, said that it's settled as a precedent of the Supreme Court entitled to respect under principles of stare decisis. That's Brett Kavanaugh, the last Supreme Court justice to be confirmed in his 2018 Senate hearing. One of the important things to keep in mind about Roe v. Wade is that it has been reaffirmed many times over the past uh, 45 years, as you know. Even if Supreme Court nominees won't go near abortion or the right to privacy, it has become a hot-button political issue, especially on the right. Mark Kendi. Extraordinary how influential it's been in terms of energizing uh, the Republican Party, for example, especially evangelicals within the Republican Party. Daniel Ehrman again. Roe v. Wade generated a politically powerful right to life movement that has been with us since the 1970s and has profoundly affected national politics ever since. And it has impacted the political sphere more than you would think. We know that in 2008, Roe v. Wade determined John McCain's choice of a vice presidential nominee. He wanted to choose Joe Lieberman as a unity ticket. And he got the news that every state Republican Party chair would boycott the convention and not endorse him. He ended up picking Sarah Palin, who was known for being against Roe v. Wade. And we all know how that turned out. But it was the 2016 U.S. presidential election where the abortion and right to privacy issue really had the biggest political impact. In 2016, exit polls told us that about 20% of voters thought the Supreme Court was a very important factor in their vote. And of those voters, it was about six to four Trump versus Clinton. So if you do the math and you remember that Trump won the Electoral College because of narrow victories in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, I think you can make a straightforward case that concern about the Supreme Court and whether it would eventually overturn Roe v. Wade in a Trump presidency may have delivered his Electoral College victory. And the Supreme Court will soon have an opportunity to overturn or limit Roe v. Wade. April Dawson. So the Supreme Court is currently 
deciding a case right now, June Medical Services v. Russo, and this is a case that's challenging a Louisiana law that requires physicians who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at local hospitals. Mark Kendi. There's a really good chance this court, which is considered rather conservative, might say the Louisiana law that requires these clinics to be like many hospitals, well, that's not a big burden. But the problem is that law will probably drive a bunch of these clinics out of business. And so what's going to happen is it's going to be much harder for women to be able to get abortions. But if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, there is much more at stake than just abortion rights. In order for Roe to be overturned, the court would pretty much have to reach a conclusion that there is not a right to privacy expressed within the Constitution. And that would undermine all of the other decisions by the court that, that are based on the right to privacy. This could have huge legal implications for both sides of the political aisle. Obviously, the pro-choice side, which tends to be liberal, would be upset. But one of the unintended consequences is that it could infect rights that conservatives think are very important. And so if you get rid of this right to privacy as part of getting rid of the right to abortion, ironically, you don't just burden potentially people who support abortion, but you may burden people who oppose abortion, but you may burden what you might call conservative rights. So what are we to make of this whole crazy legal back and forth, from Comstock to Griswold to the 2016 election and beyond? Daniel Ehrman again. So big picture, I actually like to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she says a lot of people think that the American symbol is the eagle, but she actually prefers the pendulum. The idea is that American law and politics tend to swing back and forth. Sometimes that is in the form of a backlash against a law passed by a legislature like the Comstock laws. There is an incredible irony in that sometimes laws with you know, purpose A end up with outcome B. And a lot of the moral aims behind these Comstock laws led to women's liberation, especially in terms of sexual liberation. And sometimes the pendulum swings back against the court system itself, as it did in the years after Griswold and Roe. Basically, when courts step beyond their role, the political system j tends to react and respond, and there is a correction in the long arc of history. And if the current Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, we may see that pendulum swing yet again. Comstock came to build a wall like the walls of Jericho Preaching to women across the land his manifesto Trying to control what's going on below Little did he know that the walls would come tumbling down ba doo be down ba doo be down ba doo wah down ba doo be down ba doo be down ba doo wah When he laid his laws upon their beds, a patchwork they did sew. They still quilted those golden threads, the Empress Ario. 
Her trumpet she did blow Till Comstock's Jericho Fell like dominoes And the walls came tumbling Down by doobie, down by doobie, down by doobie Flashback is written and hosted by me, Sean Braswell, senior writer and executive producer at Aussie. It was produced by Robert Kulos, Tracy Moran, Iorio Deguziwam, and Shannon Williamson. Chris Hoff engineered our show. Special thanks to the crew at iHeartRadio Podcast Networks, especially Sophie Lichterman and Jack O'Brien. Make sure to subscribe to Flashback on the iHeartRadio app or listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode features the song Laws Come Tumbling Down, written and performed by Teacup Gin. You can check them out on their website, teacupgin.com. Flashback is the latest podcast from Ozzy, a modern media company producing original TV series, festivals, news, and podcasts for curious people. Ozzy's unique storytelling focuses on the new and the next, whether that's forward-looking news and features, bold new perspectives on TV, or brand new ways of looking at history. In an earlier episode of Flashback this season, we learned how billions of cigarettes were made available to American soldiers during World War I and some of the unintended consequences of that. But there's another item that, unlike cigarettes, soldiers were not allowed to have. Condoms. And that decision had its own disastrous impact on the war effort. It's estimated that 18,000 U.S. soldiers per day were unable to serve because of venereal diseases. In other words, at any given time, about 15% of U.S. soldiers were basically off the front lines and on medical furlough. Not because of injury, but because of the clap. To dive deeper, head to ozzy.com slash flashback. That's ozy.com slash flashback. There you can find more of my lecture notes from today's episode, featuring extended interviews, links to further reading, and more information on the unintended consequences of legal cases like Griswold, as well as links to other hidden stories from history, uncovered by me and other reporters at Aussie. We all need a break from the constant cycle to learn something new, to gain new perspectives. The Great Courses Plus streaming service is an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects or pick up a new hobby. I've been enjoying The Great Courses Plus while researching this season of Flashback. Lectures like Play Ball, The Rise of Baseball as America's Pastime, History of the Supreme Court, and Battlefield Europe have helped me connect the dots on several stories from history. Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. Sign up now through our special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash O-Z-Y. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. 
If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.